listening to the Child Life Cooperative Podcast, a place where child life professionals share their real and honest stories with host and certified child life specialist, Allie Jones. Why are good questions so important in child life? How can a student make a mistake with confidence? What is the difference between a decent practicum supervisor and an amazing practicum supervisor? This week, child life educator, Katherine Bennett, a highly respected CCLS gives us the answers, unlocking the importance of reflection to both new and seasoned professionals. Learn how to refine your daily work to maximize your experience. Now, here's this week's Honest Story. Hello, Child Life Cooperative community. Thanks so much for tuning in for another podcast episode. This week, I'm so excited to introduce to you someone that I can consider a very dear mentor of mine in the child life field, Miss Catherine Bennett. Hello, Catherine. Allie. Welcome. Welcome on the podcast. I'm so excited to hear your expertise and your wisdom. I know we've been talking back and forth about things to discuss. So today we're really going to focus in starting with what your role is. Would you mind sharing what your job is in the child life world? Sure. Um, For about the last 10 years, I've worked as the educator for our child life and volunteer services department. Um, And I found that most child life programs do not have someone with the title of educator, but my work seems to mirror most closely the more familiar title of internship coordinator. But we have chosen to call it an educator because my role deals certainly with child life interns and child life practicum students, but also any learner that Mm -hmm. I've started calling them learners who um, come to our program with a request for education. So definitely child life students, but also people from the multidisciplinary healthcare team who have questions about how, what are the needs of children in healthcare settings and Also, I do a lot of work with our new staff and helping intentionally plan their onboarding process so that they can be well equipped to to work in their job as a child life specialist. That is wonderful. So needed. It's, it's neat to hear about the holistic care that you provide the entire team, ranging from students to professionals, that learning component. How uh, how did you initially become interested in becoming an educator, or was that ever something that was on your radar from the beginning of your child life days? Well, it's not a role that we've always had here, um, but the work got done. Um, it just wasn't a it wasn't just for one person, or that wasn't all that that person did. So when I started working here many more years ago than I would like to admit, <laughs> I, I actually did my internship here, so I knew what it was. It felt like to be supervised, and then to be peers with some of the people I was supervised by. But I I learned a lot from them of how I was supervised and what worked and what didn't feel as good. But um, I also then supervised a lot of students as a clinical professional, and I really liked it. It kept me sharp. I felt like I learned as much as the students did. And then when this role was created and it became a good fit for me, and I guess this, I don't think this, I mean, I think our professional lives really intersect with our personal lives. I really think it's impossible to completely separate them. But the educator role became a part-time role. And I was in a season of my life where I I needed a part-time role to manage what was going on outside the hospital. 
And so the schedule was attractive, but I had a lot of encouragement from my colleagues that I would be a good fit for this role. Um, And they referenced my ability to reflect, to give feedback, and uh, my ability to teach in a clinical setting. So I was encouraged to move into this role, and I really mean encouraged, not made to, Mm -hmm. but I was encouraged and people gave me specific feedback um, as to why they thought um, I would be good for the role. And then personally, it was a good fit for my life. So it's been sustainable for that reason. That's that's really neat. It's, I like hearing you kind of sum up the three different components of what helped you be a good fit of your ability to reflect, your ability to teach, and your ability to give feedback as well. And I, I think that's a neat way to kind of sum up how you how you operate. And I'd love to 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 dive in a little bit to this aspect of supervising students first. Of sure. First, talking about students and how they can maximize their learning, and then thinking about our professionals that are also listening to this podcast on how they can develop their skills as supervisors of students. So first off, what advice do you think you would give students in order to help maximize their learning, whether that be through an internship or a practicum? Um, well, it, it may sound kind of generic, but this is I'm asked frequently this question. Um, so... My answer continues to be pay attention, just pay attention to the details. If if there's information that is available, read it, maybe even reread it, but just pay attention Mm -hmm. uh, to the details and the instructions Mm -hmm. Um, and show up. Um, And by show up, I mean, I I think probably the, the more common thing people say along that line is be present. But I also mean literally show up, too. If there's a deadline, get get it in early. If there is a time to arrive or a time to be at something, give yourself a cushion of time so that you can show up, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. Um, just be there mm-hmm. um, and try to be as undistracted as possible. Mm-hmm. Those are great pieces of advice. And it makes me think too, of how students carry a lot of responsibility on their shoulders in so many different ways. It's such a big impact for them. I know for me as a student, I was surprised with how much it brought up so many personal things in my own learning as well of how I, I, how I relate to others, how I handle, uh, feeling overwhelmed, how I manage all these responsibilities. What sort of are, are, what sort of common struggles do you see that students seem to express to you? I think the most common ones are just that transition. Any type of transition is hard. Um, I mean, think about even if you're traveling, mm-hmm. you know, from work to home and um, just all kinds of things are happening. If you've got people to pick up or errands and other people are in transition and traffic. But I think just that transition of going from student to professional is a struggle no matter what. Um, and so that, I know that sounds very general, but I say that because I tell, I tell students a lot, Hey, give yourself, be good to yourself. This is a normal struggle. Even if you're a high performing person and you're used to making the great grades and everything, you're going through a major transition right now and it Mm -hmm. takes a while So don't knee-jerk and think all is lost because you're having a hard time. 
it's normal to have a hard time mm-hmm. when you're transitioning. Yeah, absolutely. That is such great reminders, I'm sure, for students and even for young specialists that are starting and transitioning into a new role as well. How do you feel like supervisors can come alongside of students well? What makes an effective supervisor in that sense? Um, you know, this is an interview question we ask a lot to, our, to potential students is what do you like to see in a supervisor? Um, and they often ask us, tell us, tell me about how you supervise students. I think supervi- if I was just talking to supervisors, I think feedback is so important. What, not just what you show somebody that you're teaching, but um, what do you tell them about their performance or what they need to be noticing? Um, and I guess to circle back to a question you had a minute ago about advice to students, I advise students ask for feedback on your work constantly. Mm -hmm. Don't wait for somebody to tell you. But then I advise supervisors, give them feedback and make it timely, make it honest, and make it clear and something that a student can actually do. Mm -hmm. Not just, you know, we we try not to tell patients, great job, because that's so generic. Mm -hmm. They don't know what they did great at. And so I don't want to do that for students either. You're doing great. Just keep doing what you're doing. That, that doesn't really tell them anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really encourage supervisors to get specific and um, to give feedback on all those little things that make up our work, that make us professionals or that make us um, child life specialists to mm-hmm. Just to really, I tell them, pay attention, ask questions, prompt, and then listen. Yeah, that that's really great advice. And I know for me now, working with students, that can be something I can struggle with of either seeing a student that seems so lost that doesn't seem to know what to do to, to figure out where do I even start in, in a way that's encouraging and supportive or um, with a student that seems to be doing great. Like, how can I continue to empower them? to be providing great services to patients and families. For a supervisor like me in that sense, where would they start? Like, what are some helpful things that supervisors can start looking at uh, to provide that feedback to students? That's a great question. So I provide our supervisors with some written documents before the student even um, is with the supervisor. And it's specific prompts. Um, have you ever said, you know, to somebody, give me the words? Mm-hmm. I know what I know what the message is, but give me the words. Mm-hmm. And so I try to give supervisors in writing a lot of those words to help them start a conversation, either about something specific they want to address or specific ways to prompt a conversation with the student. I think that can really lead to better listening on the supervisor's point, uh, on the supervisor's side, because if you're really seeking to understand, then you don't worry so much about just giving information and just straight teaching. If you really want to understand what is this student specifically struggling with or what is hard about this specific thing, I think normalizing is important for supervisors to do for students. We know to do that with children and teens who are in the hospital. We know to try to normalize the experience. But I think 
I think everybody, not just students, but from supervisor to student, I think it, I've seen it be helpful um, for supervisors to tell their own struggles, you know, mm-hmm. say, to give an example of a time when they almost passed out in a procedure <laughs> or when when they had a stumble with something they said and had to go back and correct it um, or say, you know what, this is not uncommon. Lot, lots of students I've supervised have have dealt with something similar. And I think that removes the, oh, no, something's wrong with me thought from the student's mm-hmm. head. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Kind of that vulnerability, authentic support in some ways. Right. Right. And just, again, to normalize, because most most things that I see students go through, the successes and the hard parts, are not that uncommon. Just like development has a pretty predictable trajectory, um, that I see student development having a pretty predictable trajectory. I do not mean that to say that every student is alike, because they're not. But that that helps normalize when I can say, you know what, I've had several other students tell me this was hard and let me tell you how she handled it or let Mm -hmm. me tell you what he did to get over this hump. Yeah, that's great advice, Catherine. It makes me think of our patients that we work with too of of Uh trying to normalize their experiences and trying to tell them what other kids have shared with us that seems to help them with their pokes or whatever it is. So that completely makes sense on why that'd be a very safe thing for supervisors to try to implement. I'd love to talk to you a little bit about lifelong learning and how to do so as a child life specialist. How would you describe what lifelong learning can look like for the child life profession? Well, I mean, there's the obvious, I think, Mm -hmm. like going to conferences Mm -hmm. and uh, participating in webinars. Um, Those are the kind of obvious traditional ways to to access information and to say, hey, I learned something and here's the, I've got the PDU to prove it. Mm -hmm. Um, But just every day, there are things that anybody can do that I consider just everyday learning. Um, Volunteering for new tasks. Certainly I don't uh, advocate to overload yourself, but if there's something new that needs to be done or maybe the person who normally does this particular thing in the department Um, is on leave or has just resigned and it needs to be done, volunteer to do it with the mindset of, I'm going to learn how to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it just broadens your um, your repertoire of things that you're capable of doing. Mm -hmm. Um, This is very Mr. Rogers, but uh, it's a song about wondering. And he says, did you know that when you're wondering, you're learning? And I think taking that time to just stop and go, to ask those questions, I wonder why it's like this, or I wonder why this is always hard for me, and then try to figure out why it's hard for you. But just that wondering, if you question, you can learn from that. It keeps you from being stuck in that, well, why is this always hard? I guess it's always going to be hard, and giving up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But asking I mean, that's kind of the same thing, asking questions. And then I'm a really big advocate of reading, (laughs) reading and then writing. Even if you're not, I think you should, everybody should try writing, even if it's not for publication. There's just a different layer of learning that happens when you write something by hand. 
not mm-hmm. just typing. I don't have the statistic or any research to back that up, but I know it's out there that when you write, put pencil or pen to paper, you encode the information differently and you pay attention differently. So those are everyday things that I think almost anybody can do in their practice to deepen what they're learning. And it doesn't have to be a certification. It can just be, well, I learned that today. Um, And it may be something that you can file away and pull out later Mm -hmm. so that something's not as hard the next time. That's wonderful advice. I, I feel like I'm even taking note as what, of what you're saying of wanting to implement more of those things. Why do you feel like reflection matters so much in our profession? You know, we've only, we've had, we call them clinical reflection groups mm-hmm. at our hospital. We don't call them clinical supervision because we were, we felt like, well, we're not being supervised. We're just getting together to think about it mm-hmm. and reflect on it. And so when we were come when we were devising how our um, clinical reflection groups were going to look, we were looking at the literature and what it says. And reflection just means thinking about what you're doing. And so I've already said, even in this conversation, it's important to think. If you just do and don't think, um, you're not as effective and you may not be doing the right things or the best things. So I think it's important because it involves thinking. Mm -hmm. And when you're thinking about what you're doing, it's going to be more meaningful. Absolutely. That completely makes sense on how that would promote value long term as well. How have you seen in your clinical reflection groups, what are some components to it that help them be successful? Well, we, we, we reflect upon how our reflection groups are going, which <laughs> I know sounds really circular, but we evaluate how's this working for everybody. And we do it on a, um, going to use a $10 word here. We do it on a macro level. So mm. department wide, we survey all of the clinical reflection groups to see who feels like their group is doing what it's supposed to be doing and it's effective and it's a good, valuable use of time each month. Um, And we look for patterns there. If there are some groups who are like, everything's great, we love it, we don't want to change anything. And then if we've got groups saying, it's not not my favorite thing or I don't really see the purpose, um, we try to look for differences there. Um, But then we also ask within our individual groups to tease out what's working well and what's not. Um, So Mm -hmm. I think just that consistent evaluation helps us grow as a team Mm -hmm. and we become better listeners and better reflectors. Mm -hmm. That sounds so valuable. I'm so curious to, to the child life specialist that feels like he or she has such a high caseload and in such a huge to-do list and just doesn't even have time to make reflection part of their discipline. What would you tell that person I feel like that person many times, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm alone. I don't think that's unique to right, me. With, right. um, we have far more demands on our time than we have time to give. And so this, what I'm going to, what I'm going to say to you is something I say to myself constantly is to stop or to pause. Pause is probably a better word. Um, just hit the pause button figuratively mm-hmm. and, and, think. Just stop and think, what am I doing here? What am I reacting 
that whatever's right in front of me or am I responding, you know, am I prioritizing and responding in an order that's going to look good at the end of my day where I can look back and say, okay, I didn't do everything that was in front of me, but I did all or most of the important things that I needed to do today. Mm-hmm. And so just that pausing and thinking for a minute. And so thinking by assessing or thinking by prioritizing. Um, and then I'm going to put another plug in for writing. Mm-hmm. I do not keep um, a list of things I need to do on my phone. Um, it, it's too distracting mm-hmm. <laughs> for me. But I do keep a run. I carry a notebook with me or carry physical paper with me most of the time. So that if somebody stops me and says, hey, I need to talk to you about this, I jot it down. And I don't lose it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'll often write my pri- all my priorities, like a brainstorm list, what all is in my mind that I think I need to do today, this week, whatever time frame. And then I physically go back and I write numbers beside them. Ooh, that's a good idea. Um, it doesn't always work cleanly. But again, when I if I get to the end of the day and I'm like, I had eight things on my list today at work and I only did three. But those three were the most needed for today. So, okay, I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. And that that helps me leave more days with a feeling of accomplishment than a feeling of inadequacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. Thank you so much for sharing, Catherine. And something that I might try to adopt, because like you said, I think all of us can, I don't want to say all of us, but I would say many child life specialists can really feel like the, the needs are so great. And so how do we do that in a way that values reflection of understanding that that needs to be a core of who we are and our ability to process, to learn, to grow, to thrive, even in the midst of things still feeling like they're piling up around us. So I love that advice and that, those suggestions that, that are also very practical, which is also helpful. So we are quickly running out of time, believe it or not. And I'd love to conclude with our last two segments. The first being the what would you do segment. I'm ready. Okay. So a child life internship supervisor comes to you and feels at a loss of how to support her intern. According to the CCLS, the intern seems quote-unquote frozen and appears insecure and inadequate of how to approach patients and families and even expresses uncertainty of if the child life field is a good fit anymore. How would you advise this internship supervisor? What would you do? All right. Um, Well, I'm going to be brief. Even though Mm -hmm. I love details, I think first... I would be talking with the supervisor about this and I would encourage the supervisor to, I call it making a what else list. So what else could be causing this student to freeze up or to um, be floundering a little bit? Mm -hmm. Um, Is there, is this a pattern? Has this been happening throughout the student's time here or is this new behavior? And I think if you can look at the what else is besides the obvious, you know, oh, they're just having a hard time or, oh, this really isn't the career for this person. There are so many other things that could cause that to happen. Just in thinking back of specific examples, I've had 
students find out while they were here of a significant medical diagnosis for a family member. And mm. they are they don't even realize how much that is impacting them when they're here trying to learn. I've had students who are having maybe a difficult living situation. Maybe the roommate they're living with is all of a sudden, uh-oh, something's not good anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe they encountered a situation at the hospital that brought something up for them that they did not even anticipate being something that would bother them. So I really encourage the supervisor, let's step back and see if we can think of other things that could be making this student struggle besides, well, they're just not cut out to be a child life specialist. And so then by prompting the supervisor to do that, I often help try to help the supervisor have that same conversation with the student. Let's think through this. What is this a new feeling? Is this something you've been experiencing for a while? And if they can look back and say, well, no, I was able to introduce services just fine when I was on this rotation. It's just since switching to this one. It can kind of start to get down to what's pinpoint, what's causing the struggle. And so I think just really looking at it for patterns and for other possibilities often can uncover what's really, what's really the issue here. Thank you for answering about that. I think it's neat to hear even through this scenario question what your role of supervising students and the supervisors can also look like through this example, which sounds like such a great way to do it, to, to take a step back and to look at the whole needs of the student and go from there. So well done, Catherine Bennett. That was Thank so helpful. You. And it's, it's a very real life scenario. Yeah, it is. I mean, I know I've felt like that student before, too. So, (laughs) all right. Now we're going to conclude with a rapid five. So five questions, five brief answers. Are you ready? Sure. I am ready. All right. Perfect. Number one, what is one word you would use to describe you and what you were like as a child life student back in the day? Amazed. Ooh. Really? That's awesome. I stuck to one word, unless you you want me to say more. Sure. Why don't you say, why were you amazed? Oh, it was so eye-opening for me. I'd read so much about child life, and I had been close to it, but I had not literally been shadowing one for that period of time. And watching everything I had read about come to life was amazing to me. Just every day there was something that I went, oh my goodness, that's amazing. (laughs) That is awesome. That is, that is really cool that you were able to experience that firsthand. Yeah. Number two, in previous conversations that you and I have had, I know you've referenced that when you were a child life specialist in a clinical setting, people would refer to you as your bag of toys or your bag of tricks. And you would correct them as saying that it was your bag of tools, which I love. And I've adopted that as my own language now. So in said bag, which tool was your favorite when you were a clinical child life specialist? Um, My favorite tool was called a sensory soother. And I don't even know if they make them anymore, but it looked like a barbell, you know, like a hand barbell, Um, but it was full of white pellets, probably styrofoam pellets in water, but then it also had um, different sparkly shapes in it, 
Um, but it had so many different ways you could use it. Um, the weight of it felt good to a, a wide age range, but then we could also use it as a glitter wand. But because there were shapes in there, it could also be a look and find, you know, look for the blue sparkle bird. And we might have to turn that thing all kinds of ways to look for it. Um, and it also had a sound, a very quiet sound that the whole room had to get quiet and you had to hold it up to your ear like a telephone to hear it. Um, so I just loved it for all those reasons. It was so versatile. But awesome. So I technically have two tools. My other favorite was my voice, which you can't put in a bag. Um, so even if I didn't have my bag voice I learned to do a lot with it I love it that is awesome so true too that um, that is one of the most powerful things that we have that we can feel confident no matter if we left our bag in a different room or not number three working at a well-known children's hospital which puts on a lot of different special events and has a lot of celebrity visits which celebrity visit made you feel most like a fangirl if any this one's easy, Ryan Seacrest. Oh, no way. <laughs> That's awesome. I've never gotten that. I've, I've always been, and I still was a professional, but it's never been a big deal to me that celebrities come. I'm sure it's cool. Hey, they're so-and-so. But um, that's the only time that many of my coworkers saw me freeze up and be unable to speak. That's awesome. I love it. I, I wasn't expecting that, but that is pretty cool. Yeah. I know you love reading and you're such a big proponent of it. What is the last thing you've read that was related to child life? Well, I'll, I might have to make the connection. I recently read The Good Neighbor and it's the life and work of Fred Rogers. And when I was reading that biography, I, there were connections being made in my head as a child life specialist specifically that I did not even realize about details of the why he did what he did and all the thought that went into the production of his shows specifically about communication, how specifically he chose the words on his show because of he because of what he knew about child development and he wanted to make sure that the things that were said on that show were clearly understood by young children. Wow. And there was a huge component in there about his specific interest in helping children understand healthcare situations because of a personal experience with his own child. And I think many of us are familiar with Mr. Rogers Goes to the Hospital. It's an old book. But hearing that behind the music, kind of, it's just, I've been, I'm still thinking about that biography. That's awesome. Way to sell it. That sounds actually very interesting to, to listen to. Number five, on the Child Life Cooperative blog, there have been several blog posts about how to deal with insecurities and the feelings of not being able to do enough. What is one truth or mantra Child Life Specialist should remember when feeling this way? Well, the one that I probably use the most is actually a quote from uh, a lady named Jill Churchill, and it's actually about mothering. But I have inserted child life into it, and um, you're familiar with it. Um, there's no one way to be a perfect child life specialist, but there are a million ways to be a really good child life specialist. I think we're often searching for, like, I need to know the one perfect thing to do, and there's often not just one perfect thing to do. There's a lot of good things that can be done. Right. Absolutely. 
such words of advice for us to hold on to. And in those moments of feeling like we can't do enough to remember that sometimes just being there and trying and all those things is enough and that there's so many good ways to be a child life specialist, which is such a huge reminder. We're not trying to be perfect. Thank you very much for sharing your nuggets of wisdom, Catherine. It seriously is such an honor to interview you today and to hear from you again. I was happy to be asked. Thank you so much, Allie. Yes, and thank you to our listeners. And in the meantime, may we all lean into the mission of the Child Life Cooperative by learning through reflection, uniting for support, and equipping students to advance the child life profession. Thank you guys so much. Until next time.